planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple Q. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond, Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond, Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With space croutons. In the words of the late great Leonard Cohen, George Frederick Handel, and Reverend Green, Hallelujah. And if you don't know who they are, like my dad used to say, look 'em up. That's what that interweb thingy is for. Well, this is Curdy Clammerwood speaking, and I have never been happier to say welcome to Space Croutons, where I am thrilled to be reunited with our glitchy yet likable AI co-host, Sally. Hello, pod people. Not in an invasion of the body snatchers way, of course. And I too am feeling a reasonable facsimile of happy to have you back, Curdy. Oh, now Sally, you're making me blush. The presence of emotion definitively indicates that you, Curdy, are not a pod person, in an invasion of the body snatcher's way, of course. Well, you must have watched some old movies while I was gone, Sally. As your dad said to me, you are never too artificially intelligent to learn something new, even when it's old. You've been talking to my dad? No wonder you sound smarter than before. Thank you for the compliment, Curdy. Wow, you can identify compliments now. For that, I must credit my seventh grade buddy, Seaver. Yes, indeed. And a big shout out to Seaver. Thanks for helping hold down the fort, dude. I guess you had an adventure yourself, Sally. I did, but we want to hear your story, Cordy. Shall I first take care of business by playing a musical message from one of our sponsors? Sure, why not? Take it away, Sally. All right, Space Croutons listeners, here are the Mask Raiders with their song, What Had Happened. Karma is small comfort when God says, I'll let there be pain. And some would say I'm lucky just to be here, to see the sun. Some movies don't end like they should But what good is luck if it isn't good? Cause what had happened was the worst thing I'd ever been through What it was, was the worst time I ever knew What I did were some things I thought I'd never do What it brought me was closer to you 
raised your hand and kept me from falling over. And you asked for nothing back. You never preached, but instead let me discover how to write a life so out of whack. So, what had happened is the question of the moment for our sponsors and for me, too. What did happen, Cordy? Well, I'll tell you, Sally. My experience regarding my disappearance set down in a story that I'm going to call CC Rides Again. <laughs> Crouton Captain's Log, star date, heck of I know. This is the spaced-out voyage of the starship Van Helsing. How I got up here in space, I cannot explain, but space is where I am. Okay, first things first. I'll describe what I can. Looking out my driver's side window, I see that there is a clear, giant bubble completely encasing the van, and I am looking at what appears to be a far-away planet Earth. I can breathe, but can't explain how. I have no clue where I'm going, or even if I'm moving, as this is outer space, and I have no navigational instruments for that. My internet connection is down. My cell phone dropped from my hand at the point of liftoff. How many hours ago? Two? Maybe three? How, how do you tell time in space? I'm also without First Officer Sally, as she was comfortably situated in my cell as we waited for a planned face-to-face -face meeting with our mysterious benefactor, when without warning, Van Helsing was roughly launched from Earth's atmosphere. <sighs> okay, Curdy, think. What would Kirk do? What would Picard do? Or Janeway, Archer, Cisco, Georgiou, Lorca, or Pike, even. No clue. No transporter, no holodeck, no phasers, futon torpedoes, not even a tribble. Well, at least that bubble looks like a deflector shield. Believe me, this is not how I thought I'd end up. After meeting with Dandelion in the wooden last week, a story you heard, thanks to Sally, I have been struggling with doubts planted by Dandy and Flint regarding our mysterious Mr. B. I finally bit the bullet and reached out to him, explaining I need more from him in order to continue the podcast in good faith. He agreed to meet me in person, and that's how I ended up on the top of a dilapidated parking deck in a tired, crumbling New Jersey township, patiently waiting for his arrival. Then, before I realized what was happening, a rumbling boiled up from under me, and Van Helsing literally took off. Come on, Curdy, don't just sit here, think. Wait, that's it. In that story about the Rubik's Cube, what, what did Bent say? Think critically? That's what I need to do. Think critically. But about what? The problem. How do I get someplace I want to go from a place I don't want to be? Use one of the croutons? Can't. Don't have any. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about? Afraid to say it out loud, I choose action instead. I turned the van engine off once I realized I was in outer space. I mean, carbon monoxide collecting in the bubble could kill me. Or worse, burst the bubble, right? And so, now I grab the key still in the ignition and turn it while gunning the gas pedal. The engine roars to life and the van begins to move. What surprises me is that it moves backwards. The fumes from the exhaust in back pushes against the back of the bubble like a reverse retro rocket. But still, I am moving. 
I slammed myself against the driver's side of the van. And yes, the van and bubble began to create an arc to the right. Then... After a count of ten, I slam to the left and move on in what I hope will ultimately be a figure eight, or the direction of infinity as Dandy had called it. Maybe it'll take me back to the wouldn't, or at least back to Earth. I count ten again and slam back to the right. Please make the eight. Please make the eight. I hear a loud pop as the bubble disintegrates, and a hard thump knocks me to the floor of the van as it lands on something, somewhere. There's light from outside the van, and I rise, hoping I am no longer in outer space. I don't know where I am, but it looks nothing like the wouldn't. I see bold-colored playhouse-sized buildings nestled in equally flamboyant vegetation. Dreamlike. Cartoonish. And as I step out from the driver's side, all I can think to say is, Well, Van Helsing, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. There's movement amid the stands of five-foot-high flora, and as if reading my mind, a young woman in a vibrant green outfit steps from behind a large flower and says, Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Followed by much tittering and giggling all around me, music begins to swell in the air as more young people in brightly colored outfits come out from behind bushes and buildings, and I swear they're about to break into a big production number when I'm distracted by a dramatic movement about 25 yards away, someone pulling down on a thick rope, interrupting the song cue as a huge canvas backdrop falls from as high as I can see, gathering and piling itself behind the throng of people who are caught in the middle of a group in hail. As the backdrop settles in a heap, they let out a collective of disappointment, and a boy in front kicks at and knocks down a flat two-dimensional replica of a bed of sunflowers, which collapses face down with a smack. What the... I don't finish the statement, mostly out of shock, but also because the next word would feel so out of place in such a purely whimsical setting. The rope puller at the back, a boy of about ten, shouts, Don't move! and begins to trot around from behind the others who are now huddling awkwardly in front of me. As he reaches the front, he stands directly center, then turns to the others and states firmly, Stop reading his imagination. It's rude and silly, and we don't treat a guest in that manner. And like hitting a light switch, the scene becomes a wooded campsite with tents and log buildings hidden in the brush, maybe in the upper Midwest. And everyone around me is now dressed in subdued browns and greens. That's better. He nods as he turns back to me. And you are? With a swallow, I respond. Well, if you can read my mind, then you know who I am, but I don't know who you all are. Well, are we being a little merry, merry, quite contrary? No, friend, we don't read minds, we read imaginations, which I found to be a complete waste of time. Some, and he gestures surreptitiously over his shoulder, think if they interact with you through your imagination, it makes things less scary for you. You must have watched that movie a million times for it to be so present in there. He points at his temple. But I find that facts work better. So you see, I really don't know who you are, or where you came from for that matter, and that makes you a potential threat, doesn't it? He folds his arms and stands waiting. Well, I smile and nod. I'm Curdy, uh, Curdy Clamorwood, and I don't know much. I tell him about the podcast and Van Helsing and how I was just in outer space, but now I'm here, unsure just how much he and the rest will believe. I finish with a compliment. I'm hoping you can help me get home. I mean, you seem pretty smart for a kid. 
Well, the teen girl who asked me about being a witch barely has time to say, Oh no! Before the kid starts jumping around, holding his head like it's about to explode and screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm not a kid! He reaches up and grabs my shirt front as high as he can manage. I'm 41 years old! And he punctuates the exclamation by butting my chest with his head, knocking me off balance so I stumble back a couple of steps. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I mean, you look like... The teen girl nods. It's kind of a sore spot. What's Bram? Bram is hunched over, his palms resting on his knees as he tries to catch his breath. He's looking down and I'm not sure if there will be a second attack. Bram... I'm sorry. I'm not from here. I don't even know where here is. All I want is to get home. I'm not a threat to you in any way. I look around. To any of you. I see nods from the gathering and I relax ever so slightly. If he isn't a threat, if he doesn't know where he is, a new voice mocking in tone pipes up from the back. Then how does he know about eternity? (gasps) I hear a gasp and then murmuring all around me. My brain is clicking. Eternity? What's eternity? Uh, Wait, was it? Yes, Joe's story from that early episode. Well, the crowd parts and a man who looks about 30 makes his way to the front. He's squinting as he joins Bram across from me. When you mentioned your podcast, I took the liberty of scanning for some corroborating details. Your imagination creates movies in your brain. And one of those movies, he turns to the others, is our eternity event. The crowd is getting tense now, inching toward me. And not in a good way. And, he pauses for effect, this story was told to him by Joe. He says it so simply, but it provokes shock and sputtering, clenched fists and hostile glares, gaping mouths and panicked faces. What a pickle. Leaving outer space and landing anywhere seemed like a good idea. Until now. Wait! I hold up my hands, open and non-threatening. How do you know Joe? He's my son. My turn to gape and sputter. My eyelids flutter as I hoarsely ask, So, uh, you're, uh, Jimbo? He nods. Listen, I'm not a threat, Jimbo. Ask Joe. Where is he? Ask him. He'll tell you who I am. He's gone. Jimbo looks down. I blink. Gone. Where? Your Earth, I'm guessing. We... He pauses again. The others nod in unison. We sent him there. You sent him to my Earth? Then this place is... Our Earth, in another dimension. This is the Earth Joe told you about in his story. But that was our Earth, and the Eternity event happened there and then got reversed. That's what Joe said. That's where the story goes wrong. We still have Eternity. We sent Joe to your Earth to acquire what we need to halt Eternity and bring our world back to life. The croutons, I think, and then try to mask the thought, keep it from prying minds. But he has not returned. Something went wrong during the transport. We were still new at it, but he wanted to try. His memory scrambled somehow. He clearly believes he is still here, but went back in time before eternity. That's why he has not returned. Jimbo steps to me and places a firm hand on my shoulder and after a long moment, smile. From your movie, I can tell that Joe trusts you and you bear no hostility towards him. Everyone relaxes and there are more grins and head bobs in my direction. I look around again. A gentle breeze pushes through the trees and the sun is warm on my face. Is this the camp Joe spoke about? Jimbo surveys the scene. We are still in hiding. While eternity exists, we continue to resist. What do you mean? This, he indicates himself and those around him, is not our natural state. 
to not age, to not procreate, to linger our existence as our faculties fade until the mind is gone and only the body operates like a machine, empty of a soul. I myself am nearing that end. And you plan to halt eternity how? Our Earth, in our dimension, made some terrible choices. We were gifted objects by an alien civilization with a promise that they could change, no, would change life as we know it. And there were those who decided that's what they wanted. And so they made it happen. And now here we are. But some of us believe that there is a way to use those same objects to revert back from eternity to what we had before, when life had a purpose and time's limitations drove us to achieve. That's why Joe wants the objects. Jimbo's face fades to a blank, tired expression, staring off into space, and the pause becomes palpable. Uh, Jimbo? Still no response. Jimbo, are, are you okay? A steady vibration grows from underneath me to encompass everything and everyone around me, and again the scene changes. I am now standing, bathed in a strong yellow light from high above, in front of Van Helsing with an entranced Jimbo, while the rest of the camp crowd has faded along with the tents, structures, and trees. You have passed the test, Mr. Clammerwood, and we are ready to welcome you. The voice comes from my left, outside the light, and I turn my head, squinting to see who spoke. Test! Welcome? You don't welcome someone with a bunch of lies? We had to be sure of your intentions, and we told no lies. Jimbo is real, and everything he told you is real. You are in another Earth dimension where we traded some of our technology in return for some of yours. Your technology? The croutons, or, or do you call them Quardax? Quardax, an interesting name, but we don't call them that. Well, what do you call them? We, as a civilization, don't name things. So who are you, your, your civilization? A new voice, laced with a bit of frustration, joins in. See? I told you we need a name. We don't need a name, snaps the first voice. The second voice argues. Ha! You're the only one who doesn't want us to have a name. It's not fair. A third voice, higher in pitch, pipes up. I would just like to point out that having a name would make it easier when communicating with other planets and dimensions. Growling bass voice number four adds. And it would give us a more concise way to label all of our documents, faxes, sports team memorabilia, and underpants labels. Fine. Voice one gives in. We can have a name. I don't care. Voice three perks up. Oh, yay. Okay, so any ideas? Voice four thoughtfully. Since we are doing this here on Earth, I think it should be something spacey, but that they would find familiar, like Wookiees or Romulans. Can't. Copyright infringements, lawsuits, and lots and lots of faxing. How about one in their public domain, I think they call it. See? They even have a name for that. A clear dig directed at voice one. Oh, happy day. Okay. How about it? I suppose if we must. I know. Check Clammerwood's imagination database. 
Images from inside my head flash across the darkness all around me in split seconds, finally stopping on a paperback book I read back in the ninth grade, A Tale of Two Cities. In triumph, Voice 2 announces, They're Kenzians. They haven't used it in over 200 years. A vocal fountain of perfects and why nots and, well, I don't have a better idea sprinkle over me until someone clears their throat and pronounces, We, the Dickensians, welcome you, Curdy Clammerwood. And with that, three small beings and one taller shuffle into the light, each looking like a different movie alien, again borrowed, I'm guessing, from my imagination. The taller one, a Benedict Cumberbatch-like con, pushes a wheelchair and goes over to a still silent Jimbo, gently helping him to sit. Yes, croaks E.T. Jimbo is sadly fading, as most of them already have. We take care of them as best we can, but boy, can humans get cranky. Well, it's kind of your fault, right? You gave them eternity. Oh, no. We gave them the objects, but... Killer Clown from Outer Space corrects me. But... Predator sighs and says, But, well, humans being humans seem to have an aversion to leaving the instructions to anything. Khan waves for the rest to be quiet. As you may already know, the Quardax, as you call them, have powers to make things happen individually, and when combined with other Quardax, do something new and completely different. It is in how you combine them that makes all the difference. It was how these humans combined them that launched their eternity. We are simply traders looking to exchange our latest technology for yours. And quite frankly, I think we got the better part of the bargain with what we received in trade. What did you get from us? Uh, Them. I visualize someone handing over our latest nuclear secrets. Predator pulls out a glossy sheet of paper from a hidden pocket. Faxing, he says with a proud gleam in his eyes. So Jimbo said the Quardax could be used to bring this world back from eternity. Why didn't you just go ahead and do that? Because once the pro-eternity humans got it, they shrewdly found a way to hide the objects to stop anyone from doing that. By sending them to our dimension? Hey, you're no dummy, says Killer Clown between crunches of fluffy kernels from his popcorn ray gun. They also used a Quardak combo to block us Dickensians from transversing your dimension, so we can't go get them ourselves. We would pop like the zit, and that ain't pretty. Then he adds, Hey, smell my flower. He points at the large bloom sewn to his lapel. Um, no thanks. Khan tucks a blanket around Jimbo's lap and looks up at me. If you want to help, you know what you have to do. Get the Quardax back here where they belong. E.T. nods. There are others who want them for their own purposes. Well, I know. I've met some of them. So are you the good guys? We want to save this world. I nod. I have to get back to my Earth, but how? You understand the figure-eight infinity pattern? That's how I got here. Predator now morphs into Dr. Brown from Back to the Future and offers, Can your vehicle reach 88 miles an hour? I glance at Van Helsing and nod. Going downhill, maybe? Why? He grins. If one infinity pattern is good, then two is even better. Okay, then. I better get going. To infinity and beyond. I jump in and gun Van Helsing up to 88 miles per hour while steering in a figure eight pattern is instructed. My mind occupied thinking about my entire space crouton's experience. I mean, 
How weird do things have to get before you jettison the whole impossibility thinking box and just accept a new reality? In any event, there's a big whoosh as I complete the figure eight and my surroundings change and I have to quickly apply the brakes to keep Van Helsing from crashing into the back of a Mini Cooper as both vehicles come out of what I later identify as the magic roundabout just outside of Swindon, England. So, folks, there you have it. That's everything I know about the Quardax, about Earth and another dimension, and I need your help to move this mission along. We need the Quardax because they need the Quardax. Jimbo and Joe and the Dickensians. And Dandy, if you and Flint are willing to help us, great. Vera and Corissa, you too. And Aiden and Brittany and Mr. B and Bent and Bug and all the rest of you who are part of this, please. We have to save Earth. Even if it's in another dimension, it's still Earth. That's it. That's all I want to say today, Sally. Let's do the sign-off and pack up. We are on a mission. Goodbye to our audience and especially to my friend, Seaver. Please remember to stay strong, help each other and understand that we are in this together. Thanks for listening everybody and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phase of set of fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple Q. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add space croutons for lunching with Lucy in the sky. Space Croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode 19 story and original music by Jeff. Production by Gene, Jerry, and Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Gene, Jerry, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work, copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch Audio production.